Hey guys, it's Dom, and welcome home. Uh, this week I got to sit down with my mom, and she told a little bit about her childhood experiences that led her to join the military at 17, a little bit about her military experience while in, and then also a little bit about her transitioning out of the military experience. Uh, during this episode, my mom details some of the traumatic childhood experiences she lived through that may be triggering for some listeners. If talk of suicide, child abuse, animal abuse, and domestic violence are sensitive topics for you to listen to, and you still would like to hear her story, I encourage you to find a safe place and have someone you trust listen with you or is easily reachable. I've also listed some resources that you can check out in the description of this episode, Um, and I hope that you guys really enjoy this episode and you can really pull stuff from it. All right, let's go. All right. Well, I'm sitting down with my mom. Uh, She's going to tell us a little bit about her military transitioning experience um, and a little bit about why she even joined the military in the beginning. Uh, Mom, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. um, My name is Teresa, and um, I'm originally from Maryland, uh, and I'm 52, and I've been retired uh, since 2006. I did uh, 20 years in the Army. Yeah. Um, So did you always have plans to retire from the military? Uh, I'll just say that um, I never had plans. Um, I actually joined the military uh, for uh, to avoid going to prison. Um, and I say that because um, I was actually going to kill someone. And I, I suppose um, helping everyone understand um, what the military was like for me, what it was like to transition, would probably be um, smart to paint a solid picture um, of my history so then you understand what the military looked like. Um, so, uh, my story actually begins with an attempted abortion. Uh, my mom found out that I that she was pregnant uh, right after my sister, and um, she couldn't handle it and had uh, gotten the turpentine and the sugar on a spoon. And uh, thankfully, uh, she got it up to her nose and just couldn't do it. So I'm here, and. Uh, and then the nightmare actually began at seven. And that's when my stepfather came into the picture. Um, he was a child of two alcoholic parents. So you can imagine the nightmare he lived. Yeah. And then he perpetuated that in his life. Um, and so he introduced my mom to drugs. And uh, he was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And um, uh, your safe zone is supposed to be the home. And there was no safe zone. It was a combat zone. Um, He was a violent alcoholic. And uh, he would would punch my mom in the face. He'd kick her with his his construction boots. He would pick up my sister by her hair and throw across the room. Um, There was a lot of yelling and screaming. And... um, and, and that's just 
you know, a small piece of it. I'll just say, um, you know, I'm not trying to give you all of my history, but I'm trying to paint a picture of uh, what the military was for me and why it looked the way it did. Um, I spent time in foster care. Um, and then when we got out of foster care, uh, that's uh, when my stepfather was in the picture. And um, I remember one instance where we had gotten a puppy from across the street and um, my stepfather was yelling and uh, he was yelling and screaming and scared the puppy and the puppy peed on the floor and he picked it up and he threw it across the room and it hit a wall and it broke its back. Mm. And now it's laying on the floor and it's whimpering and he tells us in not so very nice words to pick it up and throw it away. And that's one instance. Um, there was another instance and, and you know, these are just little snippets of, of 10 years of a nightmare because right. it started from seven until the time I joined the military. Um, I would hesitate to ask, uh, answer a question, and he immediately accused me of lying um, and uh, was very afraid to ever ask questions. So when he would ask a question or um, tell us to do something, if we didn't do it, I mean, beyond Flash Gordon fast, uh, we were probably going to get beat for it. Yeah. Um, another instance was the 45 revolver. I don't know where the gun came from, but I know that I was the keeper. Um, I had that 45 with a round in every other chamber hidden in my roller skate in the closet. Well, one day, like many, uh, there was an argument and a fight and um, my mom is outside yelling for me to go get the gun. And I was like, no, because I didn't want her to go to prison because she was really our only safety zone. Right. And um, she hit me and took the gun and ran out in the middle of the street and fired off about four or five rounds at lunchtime. So it was bright, sunny, middle of the street. Yeah. Uh, and nobody called the cops. So, you know, what I'm doing is I'm painting a picture of this wasn't, you know, someone took my dolly. Right. Um, or I didn't get a bike or roller skates for Christmas. Um, another um, example was uh, running. We were constantly, when he was passed out on the couch, we would put all of our stuff in big hefty trash bags and sneak out the front door. Well, this one last time that we did that, um, the car that we had uh, was a serious hoopty. And when you started it, everybody in the neighborhood knew you started the car. <laughs> well, he woke up and he comes running out and jumps on the hood onto the windshield. And if anybody's ever seen The Shining, it was like that. Yeah. Uh, we're locking the doors, screaming, and she won't move the car because she's kind of paralyzed. And we end up going to a battered women's shelter and hiding for like two weeks before we found someplace, someone to stay with. Um, and then, uh, you know, life kind of settled out a little bit, but, you know, the trauma never goes away. Uh, we found a place and then she says, well, what would you think if he would come live back with us? And I said, it's not so nice words. Yeah. And, um, and uh, at that point, I was 
my whole life was imploding and uh, I had, I couldn't control him and protect uh, my mom and my sister from all the abuse that they were getting. So I controlled myself and I quit eating. And I'm like, well, I can't control anything else, but I know what I can control. So I became an anorexic. Um, and then at the age of 16-ish, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I ended up trying to kill myself. Apparently I was unsuccessful. <laughs> um, and I spent a couple of weeks in the psych ward. Uh, that didn't help anything. Um, so basically uh, at 17, uh, I actually had a really good job working at a bank and um, uh, I was like, look, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta get as far away as I possibly can because the nice sweet person that I was um, was having very vivid images and I still had that gun of walking up to my stepfather and blowing his head off and then not feeling bad but actually having a party cake ice cream celebration so i was like i gotta get out of here and because you know self-esteem is probably not very high when you live in that kind of trauma for that long yeah. uh, i didn't think I, I knew somebody that was in the army and i'm like i'm not smart enough for the air force and i don't have 20-20 vision so likely as I could get in the army. Um, and so that was that was my escape. I didn't join the army for an education. <laughs> I didn't join the army because I wanted to retire. I didn't join the army because um, I had these wonderful plans of seeing the world or doing something fun. I joined the army because I, and, and this is what I did when I went to the recruiter. I told them my very first duty station will be as far away as possible. And so my first duty station was Germany. Yeah. Um, because I had to get away. I didn't even know a lot of that, actually. <laughs> I thought we were going to get on here and you're going to tell me some stories that I didn't know. And there would be like a few that I didn't. But there was a good portion of that that I did not know about. Um, well, I'm glad that you're here, Mom. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so uh, with separating, um, did you plan to do the full 20 or did you just want to do like one or two uh, tours and get out? So I didn't even have um, a thought about how long I was going to stay in because uh, surviving that kind of a childhood and, and I didn't even give you everything, but surviving that kind of a childhood, um, my defense mechanism was not to think. Yeah. I just did. And so I didn't think about what the military was going to be like. All I thought was, I'm going to get away. <clears throat> and uh, so when I joined, um, I had none of those thoughts. Um, and uh, my very first duty station, I actually met your biological father. Mm -hmm. And um, he was my knight in shining armor. He, I mean, he would lay down his jacket for me across the puddle. He ironed my t-shirts. He uh, shined my boots. He treated me like a lady. And I was like, wow, that's what that's like. And, um, you know, things didn't go well because he went back to the States and, you know, I'm 
I'm over there thinking, you know, he's going to be solid and turns out things went awry. And, you know, both of us come from, we all do, come from backgrounds that have problems and we carry those problems and things fell apart. But selfish me, I was like, you know what? We make beautiful baby. (laughs) So I planned you as my best friend. I know, I know exactly when I got pregnant with you. Oh man. And it's not because, and it's not because we were married. It's not because I loved him. It was because I, when, when you have that kind of trauma in your life and maybe you're a girl, um, you're seeking that relationship. And I was wanting some unconditional love. Yeah. And so I planned you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so um, after I had you, I, so being an anorexic, um, pregnancy was a free-for-all. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, I would eat an entire pecan pie in one sitting. I ate a whole, uh, I made a batch of Bisquick biscuits and ate all that in one sitting. And I gained 60 pounds <laughs> um, in my pregnancy. And you only came out at 6'8" yeah <laughs> yeah um and so I don't like to fail at anything and um I wasn't going to be able to pass my PT test hmm. and I was like well you know what my separation is right around my normal separation is right around that time so I was like I'm just going to get out so got out uh for four months and it only took four months to realize that nobody was offering me more than minimum wage <laughs> yeah and the only thing I knew was to, um, was the military. That's what I knew. So I went back in. Now, did I go back in thinking, oh, I'm going to be a lifer? No. Like I said, I'm still not thinking. Right. I'm just doing. doing. I'm surviving. I'm providing. Yeah. So. Um, so at what point did you realize that you would just finish your time out well I think that um once I had when I went back in and and had to do another um school Mm. uh for my job um I realized that I have to support you Mm. and so I was like I'm just gonna stay in did I say, ooh, I'm going to do 20 and then think about when 20 was? No. <laughs> <laughs> Once you're staring no. down the barrel. <laughs> right. You don't no. really want to count the time. It's not that close. <laughs> no. Um, actually, some, a lot of my career was pretty traumatic, more than three quarters of it. Um, and that's because what I brought into it from my childhood, from you know, what I experienced as a child, you, you don't just not bring that into wherever you go and then the military especially the army they don't care about you no it's about it's about being a hot body in a foxhole yeah and if they if they can have some kind of power over your life then they're more than happy to wield that and um and so no I didn't look at oh I'm gonna do 20 I was like I just need to to support my family and I end up having your brother as well yeah um and and it just, you know, that's just the way it turned out. Hmm. Um, so, 
part of my military career kind of plays into, you know, um, the continuing trauma. Yeah. Um, so, you know, trying to escape hell, I jumped into the fire because the army back then, so I joined in 85. Let's just say that um, I had supervisors that actually, and I know this, not because I believe it, but because the person that was told to do it told me about it. I was treated like a rat in a cage. Her supervisor would tell her to do or say certain things to me to see how I would respond. Mm. Um, and then I had a first sergeant who um, called me a racial slur in formation and thought that was funny yeah. uh, until I threatened IG. And then um, I went to another company and got another first sergeant who had gotten kicked out of a senior NCO school for throwing a chair at an instructor who proceeded to tell me that we didn't issue you, you a family, so you're going to need to find someone to take your kids to their appointments. Mm. So, um, you know, being a single parent uh, in the military is pretty tough because the ones that go before you are the ones that paved the way for you. Yeah. And that's sad, um, but it's true. And so, you know, as hardworking as I was in the times that, and I didn't miss time, um, I got treated like the ones that came before me. Yeah. And so the sad thing is, is that trickled down to you guys um, because you became not the blessing that you are. You became the burden that the army said you were. Mm. And so I remember uh, for the sake of not taking extra time off, you had gotten chicken pox. And I was like, Kevin, <laughs> dropping you in the bathtub with her. And Kevin got so everything are- way worse, though. <laughs> Well, that's because he was almost four years younger than you. I know. So I'm, I'm giving him chicken pox as a tiny baby because I don't want to take more time off when he gets it. Yeah. Because that's the what the military had, you know, perpetuated. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of my career was like that. Um, and a lot of it was me as well. Because from the lens that you view life is how you're going to live it as well. Right. And my lens was pretty scratched and pretty broken. Um, So it was me against the world. Uh, And everybody had it out for me. And I had to do everything I could to make sure that my babies were taken care of. And that's not a good way to live. No. No. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I ended up doing, uh, my last couple of years. Um, so your brother, uh, was diagnosed with having had a stroke before he was born when he was about eight months old. And that same first sergeant that said, we don't issue you, uh, the army didn't issue you a family. Uh, I was actually going to put myself on a hardship tour to Korea for a year so I could pick my next duty station. Mm. And somehow his wife, I don't know how, because she's not in the military. His wife convinced him to give me a hardship tour. Um, a compassionate reassignment is what it's called. Mm. And uh, your grandma lived uh, in D.C. near Walter Reed, um, which is the hospital where he was diagnosed and where he would be treated. And so uh, that set in motion uh, the better part of my career. Mm. Um, I did a couple of tours 
uh, at the Pentagon and uh, another one um, at White House Com. Uh, and so it was, it was nice because those were joint assignments. So anytime Army is not with just Army, <laughs> <laughs> oh, life is good. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Honestly, side note, um, you know, one of my aunts and uncles uh, married <laughs> to each other. Uh, they both um, retired from the Air Force as well. And I just remember her saying, you know, you just got to get to an Air Force base. And I'm like, what, for the DFAC food? <laughs> because, I mean, you know a little bit about the community I worked in, too. It didn't matter where you were stationed. If you're on a shift work or if you're on a, yeah, if you're shift working um, and or you're on permanent nights, nothing's going to be good. It doesn't matter if you love your job or not the rest of your life is not going to be good. So when she said that, I'm like, I got friends, you know, over at Langley that weren't doing well either. So I I definitely understand the joint part because it was kind of nice. You know, you have some Air Force near you, but like everybody else just minds their own business. (laughs) Nobody's nitpicking your uniform. Anyway, um, so when you did get closer to separating, um, or retiring, uh, what was your initial plan? Uh, so, um, <laughs> my plan was to get a job. <laughs> so the nice thing was, is, um, I had, what was it? 60 or 90 days of leave Ooh. saved up. Yeah. And your, your dad, your adopted dad. Yeah. Um, he was working uh, with some folks that a contract had just come up and said, hey, you know, why don't you give her a look? I mean, she doesn't have the skills, but, you know, give her a shot. And um, so blessed. Uh, I got the job, got my foot in the door. And uh, I was double dipping for two months. I was getting a full paycheck from the military and um, a full paycheck working as a contractor. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, but you say that, and, you know, we'll roll into the transitioning piece. Let's just say that you go from hell into the fire. Yeah. And then you come out into the not fire, but you're still burning. Yep. And it took me at least three years um, to, to adjust. Um, I remember you guys talking about, you know, not wanting to be around military and then not fitting in. Let's just say that, um, when I got out, I said this so much that I got in trouble for it. I can quit. Yeah. Cause in the army, you're a prisoner. Yeah. I mean, you can do things to get out before your time, but, uh, you're pretty much stuck and when I became a civilian, all I kept saying was, you know what? I can quit. <laughs> I can quit. Yep. That's and what I said too. <laughs> civilian folks don't really care to hear that you can quit. No, they don't. But no. it's just a miracle. <laughs> right. But they don't understand no. the bondage that you were in. Now, I know it's an all voluntary military and 
none of us were forced to be in it and we all made our choices yeah but the way that they the the way that you're caused to feel it's it's like i liken it to um an abusive relationship yeah um you know a woman gets beat and somebody will say well if she stays she deserves it but you don't understand her reasoning reasonings for staying could be multiple could be varied and yeah. the reason why we stay in or the reason why we endure things um could have very multiple reasons and uh and, and that was it was a very difficult thing for me to do was to not say i can quit and not only that but your pay in the military all you gotta do is look at somebody's rank and the stripes on their on their sleeve and you know exactly how much they're getting paid yep oh my goodness i got in a lot of trouble because you can't be telling people in the commercial world what you're getting paid because it's all competitive and if somebody knows that you're getting paid this much they're going to go back and complain about something and yeah it was it was really difficult and i actually remember an instance where i um I jumped across so somebody I was talking to he said something and I jumped across the table I mean on top of the table and was in his face and I was like oh oh no you're a wreck um and so I mean and, and even to show you in the joint environment the way I met your dad uh was simply because when I would call up to the help desk they were like Ernie, she's calling again. Could you go help her? Oh. And I will. T- and I will tell you that I, I thought that I was really being nice. And I think in the army, I was like princess. Yeah. But in the joint, I must have been Satan. <laughs> because they were like, I don't want to go down there and help her. Will you go help her? Oh no. Um. I mean, it's just, you know. All of that just compounded. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird to think that you, that's how you grew up. So you not only like grew up in your house, but um, like it's very different from Murray, myself, and Fred. Mostly Fred, because Fred definitely lived his entire like as much as you could before you know you couldn't join anymore he was like 27 about to be 28 um that's all you ever knew was the military really and I mean you you worked a little bit before but I mean after 20 years the civilian world is not the same it wasn't even the same after I did my six years but yeah so what do you think was the biggest struggle with transitioning um like I know that you were talking about how it was uh just like saying that you could quit and stuff like that were there any was there anything that was more than that well I had a so people civilians don't understand you and your language you know we talk in we can say acronyms and we can say one thing and, and everybody it's, it's like a big miserable family. Yeah. <laughs> but we all get each other, you know? Yeah. And when you become a civilian, it's like, nobody understands what you're saying. Nobody really, you can, you can share. Um, it's like when I shared with your grandma about some stuff, 
she hears what I'm saying, but she doesn't really understand because she never experienced it or saw it for herself. Yeah. And so uh, there was none of that. And, you know, and then no longer being in the military and being in bondage, really, um, to, and I'm not in bondage to the military, but in bondage to feeling um, like you're in chains, like everybody else except for you has control of your life. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was, like I said, it took me the good part of three years to actually scrub that off. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't even possible for me to do that, um, without, um, Christ. And I say that because, um, there are so many people that want something better and they don't know how to get it. And there's PTSD, there's depression, there's anxiety. And I will say that I was on all kinds of medication um, for who knows what, you know, the military, if you say you have something, they're going to give you drugs for it. Yeah. And, um, and it turned out that I had, I had gotten to the point where it didn't matter what, if I lost my clearance or not, uh, I was going to see a psychiatrist. Um, and it turns out I have a sleeping disorder. And uh, I will say that 2012 was, <clears throat> that was six years after I retired. Yeah. It was probably the worst year of my adult life. Awesome. Um, because the drugs that they had me on, because it all started in the military, um, let's just say that I would wake up in the middle of the night screaming bloody murder, and I actually almost punched your dad right in the face mm-hmm. in my dreams. Um, the medication uh, that, that they give you without even knowing really what they're doing uh, has a serious, takes a serious toll. And you don't, and, and one of the things that I said, um, I think it even when I was crazy, crazy doesn't know they're crazy. I think I'm being logical. I think I'm being sane. I think I'm being reasonable. And the reality is I wasn't any of that. And um, it took an entire year to get those drugs out of my system. Sure. Um, and that's all part of the military. It's all part of transitioning. You yeah. know, a lot of people think you transition and you've been out for a year. You've been out for six months. <laughs> Your transition time can take a long time, especially depending on what you've experienced and how long you've experienced it. And then what you brought into it. Right. You know, what, what was your child? What did your childhood look like? What were the tra- trauma points in your, in your world? Because the reality is I went, like I said, from hell into the fire, but it was all the same. It was like, I didn't escape. I just didn't have the 45 to kill anybody. Right. You know, because it was still the same. They were yelling in my face, throwing trash cans down the hallway, uh, you know, had us up at one o'clock in the morning for an hour to watch the hall. Um, you know, it was just a different kind of trauma, but all the same. I had a drill sergeant who, who put his boot, he was talking to another drill sergeant and I'm down there doing push-ups. He puts his boot on my back while I'm doing push-ups. Um, you, you know, it's it's it it just continued. Yeah. I thought I was getting away, and I ran into 
the fire. Yeah. You know, I, I, the fire's still on my back. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, you know, it's like when you're on fire and you're running, it's, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was a, it was a pretty, pretty difficult um, career. Like I said, at the end, um, it got better. And that's because uh, when I met your dad, simply because I was not a very nice person. Um, let's just say I had gotten tired of paying the consequences for things that, you know, it's my world, I can do what I want. But the reality is in my heart, I knew that things that I was doing, I was reaping consequences for. And I was like, I'm so tired of this. So I just quit doing it all. And then that's when your dad came into my life and I wasn't interested because he wasn't even my type. <laughs> I didn't even know what he was. But the thing is, is that he became the most beautiful person because of his heart for me. And, you know, in the army, there are no females. Uh, you're, you, well, they're females, like animals. Yeah. <laughs> there are no, there are no women. Right. Um, and so, you know, I've been doing everything, all of it without help from anyone because no one's going to help you do anything and he <clears throat> he treated me like a lady and I was just blown away and you know he was raised a Christian but he knew that he wasn't doing what uh, he wasn't living it for himself and he he said you know I understand how you feel about church because I grew up as a Catholic and then watched people in the military do hypocritical things and I was like, I don't want any part of that. But he says, I understand, but I know what I need. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to go with you just to sit with you. And I wasn't even looking up front, wasn't paying attention, was just sitting with my man. <laughs> and no joke, you know, I explained to you all of my history. I'm not one for, oh, let's try something to make you feel better. That pastor was being used by God to speak to me about my family. And I wasn't listening, but he was speaking to me. He was talking about my sister. He was talking about my mom. He was talking about me. And I was like, I don't understand this, but I can hear you perfectly. And at that point, I just knew, because like I said, I wasn't seeking and even if you are seeking, doesn't mean that it's fake either. But I wasn't seeking. And I wasn't looking for something to make me feel good. Um, and that's when my whole world changed. And I will tell you that just like it took three years to, to scrub off the military, it, I was a solid six months, night and day. I couldn't even open my mouth because of the garbage that came out of it. He was cleaning me. He was scrubbing stuff off and he's still scrubbing stuff off um, because life puts a lot on you. And the only reason why uh, I am who I am today and free from all of that, because there are a lot of people that will never be free. Uh, I mean, they could have done three years. So anyway, uh, th that's, that's, that's my saving. It's not me trying to get rid of things it was me saying lord i can't and i know that if if i trust you and, and if i focus on you and i've watched it's just the craziest thing because when i stop trying to fix my problems and i'm like okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna 
find out who you are. I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to read your word and I'm just going to pay attention to you. And the next thing you know, something that was a problem begins to resolve. And I'm like, this isn't just by happenstance. Yeah. Um, and that's, and, and that's why I'm free today. Not because, because you're talking from the time I was seven and until the time I was 38, because that's when I retired. That's how long I lived in that that's a long time yeah that is a long time what would you say um was the easiest or the best part about transitioning out minus you know being able to quit your job Woo-hoo, freedom <laughs> <laughs> uh the easiest part yeah um well you know I, I don't know if it was if it's in me or if it was something that was bred from the military but the easiest part was showing up to work. Um, you know, I, I heard you guys talk about being 10, 15 minutes early. Yeah. And you know what? I'm still like that. And what that does is it frees me from the stress of being late. Yep. Um, and, and when I got here, I was, um, I got angry and anxious because other people weren't on time and I couldn't understand it. Yeah. But not everybody's built that way. Not everybody understands that. And that's a, that's a, that's a gift no matter how we've gotten it, it's a gift. <laughs> and, and, and employers love that gift because so many, t- so many people today don't, they don't even show up to work, let alone on time. Yeah. And we have that in us. Yeah. Um, so uh, was the easiest or best part? Well, the best part was my freedom. <laughs> um, like I said, I-, I couldn't stop saying, I can quit. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and the nice thing was, uh, there were two things that I said I'd never do. Now, I'm saying that, but if the Lord has me do it, then that's what I'll do. But the two things was, I will never work another shift work. Yeah. And I will not, and I will not commute. Hmm. Um, because when I worked at the Pentagon, it was an hour plus one way. Yeah. And when you have a sleeping disorder that is not being treated, <laughs> let's just say that I spent some, some wee early morning hours parked in a park. So I wouldn't run into any trees taking a nap before I made it the rest of the way home. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you took the naps and didn't try to drive home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you that uh, when I did that, your your grandma was living with us and there were no cell phones then. And um, at least I didn't have one. Yeah. And uh, when I got home, because she knew what time I got off shift, when I got home, she was all freaked out. And she's like, what happened? And I was like, I, could, I couldn't do it because I tried, you know, you can eat and sleep. I've proven that. Yeah. You can, you can have the windows down with it being absolutely freezing outside and still sleep. I've proven that. Um, there's, you can have the music blasting with the window down and eating and still sleep. Yep. Um, and so, um, I told her what happened and she was like, you're going to get a cell phone. And I think that's probably when I got a cell phone. <laughs> um, she was afraid um, you were going to leave her with us. <laughs> that was her real fear. It was like, don't leave me with Dominique and Kevin. <laughs> I don't want these two. <laughs> well, she didn't know how to parent. So yeah, and I she, told was, her very she was, often. She, yeah, she was one of you guys. And so it's kind of hard to be a parent figure but be one of you at the same time mom (laughs) yeah it was pretty it was 
to the point where I would tell her, you're not my mom. <laughs> it was, I mean, I had a mouth as a kid anyway, but Oof. yeah. Girl. I mean, it got better. I wasn't like always horrible, right. but during the time where you don't, like kids don't have the ability to rein it in <laughs> and they're just like, you know, bleeding all over people. Yeah, that's when I had the mouth, but yeah, I would tell her all the time. I'm like, I know who my mom is. <laughs> I was mean, but anyway, um, the big question, would you do it all over again, given where you are right now? So remember, I told you that we live our lives through the lens um, of life that we've lived. Yeah. And um, that lens that I uh, lived my military career in was broken and, and cracked and um, scraped up. Um, and today, I know, I know for a fact that had I had the lens of Christ that everything that I went through, I would be able to see that he was using it to make me stronger and that I wouldn't be so succumbed and absorbed. I wouldn't have absorbed everybody else's anger and frustration. Maybe life still would have been difficult, but I would have understood that there is a purpose. And so my answer to that question is I would, I would absolutely Go back. I, if, if I am who I am today, not if I was who I was then, because <laughs> yeah. no way do I want to live that nightmare again. Right. But if I am who I am today, absolutely. Because there are things in my life right now that are very difficult and, and, and very disturbing. But because I see through his eyes, then I don't um, absorb and I don't see them in a desperate, hopeless light. And, and that's, I lived in hopelessness. And that, you know, that's, that's what I tell people in Bible studies, because most of the people I go to Bible studies with don't understand how can people, how do people that don't have Christ, how do they handle this? I'll tell you, <laughs> Yeah. you know, you're, you're going to be angry. You're going to be depressed. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to have, um, fear and you're not going to have hope and you're not going to want to do anything or you're going to fight against everybody and everything in the world because that's the only way that you can survive yeah and there's not going to be any peace or joy in your life and maybe you laugh sometimes maybe sometimes are fun but you know what the majority of your life is just a train wreck um and so like i said the answer to my question to that question is yes i would absolutely i actually have one more question (laughs) Um, did you have any idea what the army was going to be like before you got in? Well, side note, I remember you guys saying that recruiters lie. Yeah, they do. Hold on. (laughs) So my recruiters, uh, when they told me where I was going, they all looked at each other and I'm like, what, what, what? And when I came, because I went to basic during Christmas, so we had Exodus, and um, the recruiter came to pick me up from the train station, mm-hmm. and I and I proceeded to cuss him out. And he's like, you can't do that to me private, and I was cussed him out some more. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't you tell me where I was going? Mm. And he kind of laughed and didn't say anything. He, 
So recruiters do lie. They have quotas to fill. They have yep. spots to, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so sorry, I got sidetracked with the, you're not the only one that got lied to. Everybody gets lied to. Oh, no. I just want it to be a well-known fact. Because, <laughs> well, and I asked you that because you said you knew somebody who was in the Army. Um, you also had your own experience with going to the recruiters. They were clearly there when you went to the recruiting office, unlike the Air Force ones. Um, but something that has been told at least to my friends my peers um, repeatedly is you knew what you were getting into when you signed your name. And that is a lie. <laughs> well, and that's in the, and you're correct because the commercials that they show is all the glory. It's um, why people it, ask you if like, ask me if I flew a plane or ask Fred, if he flew a plane because he right. were in the air force. Because the com- right. Because of the commercials the recruiters aren't going to run a commercial that makes it look like you're not getting any sleep and you're out there in freezing cold and, and you got icicles on your uh, eyelashes and you can't change a filter in your gas mask because your fingertips are frozen. Yeah. They're not going to show that kind of stuff. No. And so did I know what I was getting into? No. Did I care? No. No. I really <laughs> didn't. I, I Seriously, the only thing I was thinking of was this is my only way out of here before I murder him. And you know, a lot of people say, you know, I was going to kill somebody, but I will tell you that it was actually very spiritual. Uh, people throw around the word hate like gum. Yeah. And I will tell you when somebody says hate, I look at them and I'm like, you have no idea because yeah. I truly had hate for him because I was the very compliant, the very joyful, the very, I want to make you laugh. I, I, yeah I was a pleaser yeah and I had gotten to the point that every thought of mine was I could I could see myself pulling that trigger and then throwing a party and I'm like I can't I can't do this I gotta go and when I told my boss at the bank look I I gotta I gotta join the I gotta join the military because I gotta get out of here and he's like oh but this weekend we're going out and playing paintball and I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm not looking for a couple of hours of fun. Um, and so, yeah, I had no idea what the military, if I'd known I was jumping into the fire. And here's the thing. I wanted to join the Marines for their uniform, but I guess God saved me from that. Oh, yeah. he definitely. And then did. I couldn't join the Navy because the bell bottoms were just ridiculous. Oh, uh, hey, they changed it up. You could have waited a little bit. Right. And then uh, the Air Force, you know, I, I just wish I just I wish that I had seen an Air Force recruiter because I think my life would have been it would pretty would have been pretty bad, but it would have been a lot different, I think. Yeah. I um I'm, I remember when I got orders to Fort Gordon and I called you <laughs> and you lost it and you're like are you gonna be a part of an army unit are you what what is gonna happen blah blah blah. and I was like mom it's gonna be fine it's a joint environment you know what's crazy is I could have gone to Buckley in Colorado I had a friend who was like hey I'll switch with you because one of his good friends from a prior class got stationed at Fort Gordon too 
But I was like, nope, I'm going to go where they send me because this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. <laughs> well, you, okay, but you say that. And I would like to say that, you know what, everything that you've experienced has a purpose, whether you realize that or not. And if you look at your life that way, then you'll be able to come out understanding why you experience what you experience and how it can be used for good. Yeah. And I think that what you're doing here is using that experience for good. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, I just love you. <laughs> I love you too, Mom. Hey guys, just checking in. Uh, thank you so much for joining my mom and I this week uh, for her story. Um, And I also want to note that if you or someone you know is suffering from any of these circumstances that my mom mentioned that she experienced, please feel free to reach out to me via social media or even drop a message on the Anchor Podcast website. Uh, For direct resources for help, please call or reach out to the following resources. The National Suicide Hotline number is one 800 273 8255. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1 800 799 7233. And they also have some really great resources on their website, um, such as finding out what abuse looks like and what healthy relationships look like. And then, lastly, but not least, the National Child Abuse Hotline, which is 1 800 422 4453. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.